The big question is, how does someone with MS actually improve their mobility, strength, energy, independence, the list goes on. If you want the answers, you're in the right place at the right time. Whether you're newly diagnosed or have had MS for over 30 years, whether you have relapsing MS or progressive MS, this podcast is for you. My name is Dr. Gretchen Hawley, physical therapist and multiple sclerosis specialist. Welcome to the Missing Link podcast. Tune in as I share the top strategies to help you gain control over your life with MS using only the best insights, advice, and research from top industry experts. Not only that, you'll learn MS-specific exercises and tips to stay consistent, motivated, and inspired. Ready? Let's dive in. Welcome to our show today. We have a guest with us named Caitlin Hebb, and Caitlin is a neurologic music therapist fellow and a clinical operations manager for MedRhythms Therapy. I honestly don't know a whole lot about music therapy, so I'm really excited to ask you questions, and we're going to get into what is music therapy versus neurologic music therapy? Mm-hmm. How can it help with walking and mobility and transfers? So I'm really excited to have you here. Yeah. Thank you so much, Gretchen. I'm, I'm equally as excited. So just to give you guys a little bit more background on Caitlin, she graduated with a degree in music therapy from Berkeley college of music and received her fellowship from the Academy of neurologic music therapy. Caitlin is responsible for shepherding the continued growth of program development and implementation for each of MedRhythm's clinical programs. Caitlin's clinical work is primarily at Spalding Rehabilitation Hospital, where she works with patients on the traumatic brain injury, stroke, spinal cord units, and more. So again, thank you so much for being here. I first want to jump right into a, what is neurologic music therapy and B is that different from music therapy, just general music therapy? Yeah, it's, I feel like that's a very packed question, but let me unpack it a little bit as we go. So kind of first and foremost, I think starting at, you know, music therapy as an established profession, which really has kind of started largely around the world wars when they were first noticing how music could potentially be impactful for veterans who were experiencing PTSD. And so they brought in musicians, they brought in nurses and they started applying music and they kind of realized that, you know, these musicians need a little bit more training to work with these individuals. Um, And that, you know, transferred into more of a credentialed field and thus now kind of leading us into working with a variety of populations on a variety of goals. And I think the big takeaway was that music created change in a lot of different areas, whether that's social or emotional. We all probably have some kind of connection with music in our lives as well. Um, And so it was a vehicle for change. And I think the the shift was really that when to neurologic music therapy was really when they started looking into how music impacts the brain from a uh, functional level and anatomical level of, you know, how can music really make an impact based off how it's, it's stimulating our brain. And they looked at a lot of like musicians, right? So you think about like musical training, those who have, you know, maybe played instruments or have been singers for quite some time. 
and noticed that there was a good amount of, of change in just how widespread music is within our brain and the multiple areas that it engages. So they noticed these, these within fMRI imaging, and that was around 19, the 1990s when that became available. And that shifted us into, okay, now how can we use music within clinical application based off what we know from this neuroscience and how music impacts the brain specifically for movement, speech and language, or cognition. So that kind of developed the field of neurologic music therapy, which is really a, a model of music therapy or kind of a subset of music therapy that uses that research. It's a neuroscience approach as opposed to a social science approach. And that really drove us into standardized interventions that we can use with a lot of people, a lot of different populations. Wow. So there must be a difference in terms of exercises for the neurologic population versus a social population. But before we get into that, you had mentioned to me one time about that there's different domains. Can you get into that? Yeah. So I kind of mentioned the, the standardized interventions that we use and, you know, there's over 20 interventions that we have and they all fall within really three domains. So we would be working with someone to improve someone's movement, whether that be lower body, upper body, speech and language, which would be more of, you know, largely the focus is on the expressive language or expressive speech component. And then cognition, which encompasses quite a bit, right? It could be arousal, orientation, attention, memory. Um, if someone has any visuospatial deficits, or it could be even executive functioning. So those are kind of the three domains that we have certain interventions that fall within those categories that we would address or work on. Okay. I think it's so exciting. I will never forget. I think this was maybe two years ago where I went to one of the annual consortiums for multiple sclerosis. Mm -hmm. And there was a full three hour lecture on the importance of being creative and music therapy was a huge part of it. They also touched on art and some other forms of creativity, but that told me anytime there's a full lecture on something, I really pay attention. I feel like, okay, this is important. I need to listen to this and share this with my clients because it's worth at least three hours of my time to sit here and listen to. So yeah, that I think it, I'm so glad that you and I crossed paths so we can chat more about this. Yeah. I, I think that, may, I mean, honestly, the, the research, I think that's coming out, there's so much, there's so much that is new and exciting. And I, I mean, there's so much about the brain that we don't know in general, but let alone how music can make a big impact, but we've seen it. And, and I think people have seen it in their everyday lives anyways, right? We, when you're, if you're at a store, for example, and there's no music playing, it's weird. It's, it's a very awkward experience. It's too yeah. quiet, right? We fill our lives with music quite a bit. So it holds a lot of weight and significance to us as humans. Um, and I think what's great is within this field, we get to see, and I get to see every day, just like the impact that it actually can have for people. So, yeah. So what are some examples that you've seen with your neurologic population? What type of improvements do you see? So again, if we kind of like go, if I shift into domains, you know, I'll focus largely with the movement domain first. And I think that's because a lot of times you see the 
you see the effect almost immediately. And that's with this idea or this, this phenomenon that exists with humans, and it's called rhythmic entrainment. And it's when you have something like it, a rhythmic external stimulus that's going similar to like a metronome, right? We all hear this kind of like constant steady pulse or click, or, you know, we could equate it to like in music, like the beat or the rhythm of that song, right? So that's what we feel that pulse. And what's really amazing is that 97% of the population has the means to hear this regular pulse, perceive it, process it, and then move to that to that beat. So the idea with movement, and, and this is what's been kind of mostly researched, is that you have an auditory source that's creating a motor response, and that's that rhythmic auditory entrainment. And it is very effective when we think about something like walking, right? Walking is innately rhythmic, unless it's not, unless something has happened where that might interfere with that process or that forward propulsion. And so if we can provide an external cue outside of that to pair with whatever we're working on within our gait, we can improve things with our gait. For example, stride length, symmetry, balance, coordination. Um, there's a lot of ways that just having an external cue can help our brains sync up process and then improve the outcomes that we're having. Wow. And I imagine it would be the same for transfers too, just for standing up. Is that right? Yeah. So if you think about like really just motor planning or production in general, motor planning and coordination or um, that type of like structured functional task, you could map out rhythmically, um, you know, with a, a good amount of kind of observation. And that's a lot of within our interventions, we first take someone's baseline, right? We want to know kind of where they're currently functioning or what they're currently doing. And then we're going to give them an external cue or that rhythmic source to really drive the movement, to really optimize the movement, not necessarily just match what they're doing, but yeah, absolutely. Very cool. And you mentioned that I forgot the exact number. You said 90 something percent of people have are innately 97. This, yeah. 97. So for those 3% that aren't able to innately have this beat, this internal beat, a, why does that happen? And B, what's the resolution for that? Is that using the external sources? Yeah. So that 3%, I think really falls within anyone who's had, you know, um, for example, deaf or hard of hearing, um, where they obviously can't perceive the auditory source. Um, or if you think about someone who maybe has a, um, uh, sometimes there is a disorder that you could potentially have seizures due to music or hearing music. And so in that case, those individuals, I will say deaf or hard of hearing people, there is still a way to use a rhythmic structure. I think it's just not necessarily the auditory component. I think there's ways to incorporate like a tactile cue, right? Where maybe there is still some kind of rhythmic pulse um, that they could feel as opposed to necessarily hearing. Um, so there are some workarounds, but there's also people I think that just have really low beat perception. Um, and I think most people kind of joke that they like, oh, I have no sense of rhythm, um, <laughs> which, you know, I, I tend to kind of say like, believe me, you, you do, you probably have more, but some people really probably do have very, very poor perception of a beat, um, in which case, you know, some of the things that we're using may or may not be as effective for them. 
So this kind of sounds like listening to music is one option, but potentially playing music could be a different option. Yeah. So our, I mean, our sessions are usually mixed in. I mean, most of it's live music that we're, we're using. Um, and you know, that is that varies kind of client to client, patient to patient about what kind of music that they like. Um, and then we also rely really heavily on very basic music concepts or elements. So like a metronome or rhythm, um, or, you know, something simple as far as like chords on a guitar or, you know, the piano melodies that we're using. So a lot of it, while we do take into consideration kind of client preference, we do use very simple, basic music as well. Basically, whatever's going to be the most effective type of music is what we're looking for, for the best outcome. Okay. And what is, I've seen this terminology or phrase, R-A-S, that, does that have something to do with the metronome and, and what is it? Can you explain that? Yeah, RAS is a is short for rhythmic auditory stimulation, and it's actually one of our most researched or kind of well-known established interventions that we employ within our practice. And um, that is, is, it's exactly what I was describing of using a metronome or using a beat to walk to and improve components of the gait cycle. So that intervention, we typically start by watching someone or collecting someone's baseline cadence, the steps per minute. And then based off their goals, whatever they're working on, we would then change or alter the tempo, the external cue, at least the metronome or the guitar, the music that they're walking to, to meet their goals. So for example, if we're working on something like balance, I might actually increase someone's cadence to improve their balance. If they're walking slow and they have a longer stance time on each side, it's going to be a lot harder, right, to balance. I'm speaking to a PT who knows all of this, but it's going to be a lot harder to balance your body um, versus increasing the speed um, and improving the balance or the coordination. So it really depends on the person's goals, right, of whether what they're working on. But with with this intervention, most likely it's kind of increasing the, the tempo that they're walking. Do you ever co-treat with physical therapists? I feel like so much of what you're saying is my love language, you know, focusing on balance and step length. Do you ever work right alongside PTs? Absolutely. Yeah. That's a lot of the work that we do at, at Spalding. Um, Charlestown is where I primarily work, which is our inpatient rehab facility. And I am lucky. I am so lucky to work with some of the best PTs and collaborate with them and co-treat with them. Um, and it really just kind of put our brains together as to, you know, what's going to be like the best functional outcome for this individual. So I've learned a lot from them as well. That's so great. I'm just thinking right now, I have a few clients recently where I've been talking about slowing down their gait and for reasons X, Y, and Z for safety. But then I have other clients where we are talking about speeding it up because slowing down makes it challenging Mm -hmm. yet. I haven't incorporated music at all. So my, my brain is turning in different ways to think of different intervention ideas. And that to me is really, you know, I, I think from a like interprofessional approach where you ultimately get the best results for your client is to collaborate in that way. So that's a lot of the work that I do is I'll come and we'll do a co-treatment. And then after that session, I'll say, you know, 
post me being here, obviously I can't be there as often as they are treating the patients. You know, they see them every day. I, I, I ideally get to see them two to three times a week, but I'll say to the PT, okay, this is where we left off. This is where I think you could set the metronome that, you know, if you wanted to use this within your sessions outside of, you know, while I'm here, um, or sometimes I'll even make a like playlist for that person to walk to. So trying to collaborate as much as we can, because we need PTs to be doing this as well as NMTs. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. A playlist sounds so fun. You can get so creative with that. Yeah. I am a huge fan of everything you're saying. I think interdisciplinary care or multidisciplinary, whatever you want to call it, is so integral in healthcare, especially with a diagnosis like MS or really any neurological diagnosis. So I'm, I'm happy to hear you say that. Yeah, absolutely. Hold on. I'm just going to check the time. All right. We're yes. at 14 minutes. Um, all right. So I think, all right, we'll do one more question. Then I'll say, you know, where do we, where can people find you? Okay. All right. So there's of course a lot of different personal goals that someone might be working towards. We've been talking about walking and a little bit on transfers, but there's probably just daily chores and, and other more personal things. How does music therapy work in that regard? Yeah. So I think in, in that regard, a lot of, you know, for example, we, yeah, we were talking a little bit about walking. I think if I, you know, expand it to movement in general, you know, we're looking at two types, whether it be like that direct transfer, um, because really our focus is the carryover. So we want to make sure that whatever it is we're working on with our interventions that they can carry, our clients can carry that over into their everyday lives. And so, you know, our work looks a little bit more focused where we could either have a direct transfer with something like walking or maybe we have a more indirect transfer with something like chores. So for example, if we're working on strengthening certain, you know, isolating certain muscles, using music as that driving force to help with the coordination and the repetition that you can create with a rhythmic exercise, we're hoping that that might transfer into something like squatting down and reaching for your pillow or something along those lines. So while there's, there's a bit of both, right. We're looking for direct with the, with walking and some indirect with more like strengthening and isolating of muscles. So, you know, I wouldn't say while I, I wouldn't necessarily follow someone around with a guitar while they're (laughs) folding laundry, I would be working on their fine motor, you know, outside and hoping that that transfers over. Yeah, that's great. One thing I hear a lot, especially now that people are doing more strengthening based programs online, just because of everything COVID related. One thing that I've been hearing is they feel like they're getting stronger, but that's not carrying over into day-to-day activities. So they're stronger, but walking is still hard or they're stronger, but getting into their car or stair climbing is still hard. So that is true. Everything you're saying about that carryover, making sure that at home, you're also keeping up a good, a good pace, good speed, good step length and safety too. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, I definitely want to have you back on our show because I really want to get into specific exercises and things that people can do right now, if they wanted to at home for neurologic music therapy. So we'll have you back on the show, but thank you so much for being here. And also if people do want to find you or reach out and get more information, where would you send them? 
Yeah. So I, um, as you mentioned, I work for a company called MedRhythms. I work for MedRhythms Therapy. And if you have questions or you're interested in this, um, you can reach me at Caitlin, which is C-A-I-T-L-I-N at medrhythmstherapy.com. And I would be happy to answer any questions. Awesome. Thank you. And I'll put your email and the website in the show notes. So for anyone listening, definitely check there. Thanks. All right. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to today's show. I am beyond grateful to have you as a listener. So as a thank you, I have something special just for you. I created a bundle of resources exclusive for the listeners of the Missing Link podcast who are looking for more guidance and tips to champion your life with MS. To get these resources, head over to msinglink.com forward slash insider. That link will be shared in the show notes along with links to my social media handles. If you loved this episode, it would mean so much to me if you shared it with a friend. Or if you're on social media, take a screenshot right now and post it to your page or your stories and tag me so I can personally thank you for helping me get the message out to other MS warriors. Thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Missing Link Podcast.